Well, if you are a remodeling contractor, really any type of contractor, you got to listen to this interview. We're talking to Doug Howard, who is with Remodelers Advantage. And this is a company that provides consulting for remodeling contractors. And he gives away so much good advice in here for free that whether you sign up for their service or not, you got to listen to this. It's just, I had light bulbs going off and I'm not even a remodeling contractor. A lot of just quality business, uh, classic uh, tried and true ideas that somehow, at least myself, I overlook or have never, I don't think about on my own. And so great discussion with Doug. Can't thank him enough for coming on. He has got a, a mile long list of experience and, and, and resume and qualifications, and he describes them a little bit at the beginning, but he really knows his stuff and he's just a great guy. And I could not be more pleased to bring you this discussion. So without any further ado, Doug Howard from Remodelers Advantage. I guess maybe the first place to start is if you just kind of give us a background, not just about Remodelers Advantage, but just in your career in terms of consulting and such. And we'll get into the specifics um, after that. But I'd love to kind of hear uh, about your career and then a little bit about what Remodelers Advantage does. And then we'll go from there. Okay, sure. So, uh, yeah, I went to uh, business school, undergraduate business school, graduated and went into kind of corporate life. Uh, and lasted very uh, short period of time there. I didn't like that at all. Uh, so I went to work for a small business accounting and consulting company that uh, was based in Atlanta, but had 12 offices around the country. And they focused mainly on uh, the petroleum industry, gas stations, convenience stores, uh, training for the oil companies and that kind of thing. And, uh, you know, I was uh, was willing to move around when they had openings. And uh, I kind of felt like I was in a, in a U-Haul most of my first few years. Huh. And, uh, uh, but ended up becoming president of that company after seven years and then bought the company the year afterwards. Oh my gosh. And then, yeah. And then continued to own and operate it for, I say I bought it. We bought four of the 12 offices. We bought the, the what were the more profitable offices. And then I ran that for 17 years. Wow. Um, it moved more from account. It moved more from consulting to accounting, um, and that really wasn't my first love. I had a marketing degree. I love business, but huh. accounting was kind of a byproduct. But it became very much, you know, tax software and data security and tax seasons. And so, as I was growing the Maryland office where I was based, I started to slowly sell off the others. Um, started a consulting company in uh, 2008, right around the time of the recession, just trying to help people kind of get back on track or, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that kind of thing. And it was a little bit of a sideline. Um, but when I finally sold off the accounting practice, I made that my main activity, which was really uh, what I wanted to do anyhow. Mm -hmm. And in the process, I came across Remodeler's Advantage. So I, I had originally worked across pretty much every industry, did a lot of work with startups, Helped about 400 businesses get started in, in, in Maryland. Wow. Um, and then, um, but when I came across Remodelers Advantage, they were looking for someone to kind of develop their consulting capability. They had some mentoring that they did um, and, and some uh, accounting consulting, but really wanted to grow that. So they actually hired me to do their strategic plan in 2017. Oh. Um, and uh, they kind of like to describe it that I came and did their strategic plan and then just refused to leave. They never let um, you go. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so I started doing some consulting work for some of their members 
that were in their roundtables program. So Romano's Advantage historically had been a peer group company. So they brought together um, uh, home remodeling companies, interior home remodeling companies, put them in groups of 10. They were from different parts of the country, so they weren't competing, and they would share financials and best practices and that kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, so I started working with a couple of the, their uh, members, some that were having some real challenges either with growth or cash flow, and that seemed to work really well. And then I came on board full-time in November 2017, and uh, so just celebrated my uh, fourth anniversary with them. And uh, mm. we've grown it to be substantially bigger than it was, which is great because we get to work with a lot more uh, remodeling companies. And uh, and at the same time, I also uh, facilitate uh, some of the peer groups uh, as well. So I kind of get to work on both sides of the, of the house. Oh, that's interesting. You know, I've always kind of felt like, and maybe you can tell me, maybe every industry feels this way. Like, like, general business and general industry, that would be nice. But here in the construction industry, things are a little too, whatever, harebrained or a little too uncertain for general, you know, I'll say like some kind of classic textbook business consulting to really work. Now, obviously that's not true because this is what you guys do, but <laughs> yeah. do you see that? Do you, do you see contractors with that kind of mindset or, or maybe that's just, they just need so much help to even oh, sure. get to the point to like, Think yeah. of it that way, or or is there something about construction that is kind of a different animal from I don't know, like software or or something yeah. a little more you know typical? No, I think it's a great question. I think there's a couple of things. Is it's, it's a little bit of a blend. Uh, I think there are definitely some things unique to construction in terms of uh, the pace of projects. I think when you get to something like remodeling, you know, when your car mechanic works on your car, he doesn't do it right in front of you. Right. right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and when the doctor operates on you, at least they knock you out first. So you can't yeah. see what you're doing. Right. Yeah. Um, a lot of times, you know, construction projects, you're doing it right in front of the customer in their yeah. home. Uh, so that I think is one challenge. Um, the size and scope of projects, I think, is also, you know, for what is in many ways a small business. Uh, you know, there are very few other small businesses that have like, you know, in some cases, 20 transactions a year but they're very, yeah. very large transactions. Yeah. And that was one of the things when I first joined the company, working with a lot of folks with cash flow issues. So I was sort of applying traditional cash flow models, um, which usually have more to do with things like um, collecting your money and you know how you structure your contracts. And really what we realized was, you know, if it takes 12 or 18 weeks to get a project into production, You've got to have that window of cash flow because you can't go sell something tomorrow and really positively impact your your cash situation. So it, it does definitely require a different way of thinking. And then there's also a lot of things that are much more applicable than people think. You know, a lot of times when I talk to folks, they say, well, Doug, you know, because I do a lot of work with process improvement, like lean and eliminating waste and those kinds of things. And they'll say, well, you know, that doesn't work for us because every process is different. I mean, every project is a unique one. We're mm -hmm. custom, that kind of thing. And I say, well, you know, you go into a Subway sandwich shop, they make a thousand different iterations of a sandwich every single day and get everyone right. You can have a standard process applied to a very customized product. Yeah. And when we start to realize that that's the case and, you know, we put those standard processes in place and say, okay, well, whether it's this kind of you know flooring or this kind of layout or whatever it is, that's unique. But that doesn't mean your process has to be chaos. 
So I, I, I feel like I met the industry halfway. Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. Uh, to, um, but uh, so that's that's kind of, I think, what well, I experienced. Most. And that's kind of, I guess, what you're doing is helping. Because like, let's say a guy, a small contractor, they're asking themselves that question while they're maybe reading a book or listening to a podcast about business thinking, okay, that would be nice. I guess in a lot of ways, what you're doing is helping that person find ways that it is applicable. Right. Um, so yeah. in terms of small business, I've always been a little bit, not confused, but I felt like it's such a vague term and such a not helpful term because yes. the way I understand it is basically anything that's not publicly traded counts as small business. Well, that could mean 50 employees, which is from where I'm sitting, that is not a small business. That's 50 employees or a hundred or 500. That's a big business. And so I, sometimes it feels like it, you almost got to like define these things a little closer. So what, what, what size of small business and small remodeling contractors are, are you guys helping? Cause I know there are some who are, are, and maybe we talk about this here in a minute, but where the entire business is kind of built around one key person who, sure. um, and that works for a lot of folks, but what, what do you find, you know, what, what is a small business or what size businesses need help in, in this kind of way? Sure. Yeah. So our, our threshold for our roundtable program is a million in revenue and in generally companies that have employees. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, because at that level, there's enough complexity that some of the things that we teach and some of the processes that we, you know, uh, mm -hmm. implement, they can make a difference. When I first came to the company, um, consulting was sort of given the task of anybody that didn't qualify. Uh, you know, so if someone reached out to us and they weren't at a million in revenue, um, I would work with them sometimes to get them to that threshold, sometimes mm -hmm. to just help them through their processes. So there's, there's definitely levels. So I think that, you know, that half a million to million single operator maybe has a helper and maybe has, you know, some outside admin yeah. is kind of one level. I think there's lots and lots of folks at that, at that level. Um, and, and they, uh, you know, some of them are very successful, but they're not really building an organization. Yeah. The challenge is taking that next step yeah. is actually in some ways, it's a step in the right direction if you want to grow a company, but sometimes it's a step in the wrong direction financially, yeah. right? If, I've had people say, well, you know, if I took that next step, it would eat up all of what I make, you know, right. um, at about a million and a half to 2 million, you start to see sort of that smaller remodeling company mm -hmm. and in that two to five million dollar range there's some really really great that's kind of our i would say our bread and butter yeah um and then there's another level of complexity at about eight to ten million and again some of this is regionally driven so the numbers right. may vary but and that's really where you have a level of management between the owner and the field work yeah. And so, you know, it, it's one thing to manage people for the first time. Right. It's another thing to manage managers for the first time, right? <laughs> yeah. Or have managers be managers for the first time. Yeah. And then we have some, some companies that are, you know, 20, $25 million and it's just a completely different operation. But I, I think to me, you know, I would say our, our mainstream is that two to 5 million and yeah. then our larger version of small business. Cause I agree with you. The term's really weird um, is maybe in that, eight to 10 million. So maybe we'll go through a couple of those classes, but I know a lot of our listeners are what, what they might even be actually in the trades themselves and just kind sure. of plan, planning their career out and watching what their boss does thinking, okay, I can, I can do what he does. That's, that's on my, <laughs> that's coming up for me. So when, when you f have people at those early steps who are not quite maybe ready to work with you, what, what's some of the low hanging fruit or some of the easy, uh, like 
you know, first steps, you, you help someone who maybe is a key man doing most things themselves say like, yeah. okay, take care of these things. Let's talk in a year. What's some of the, like the, the basics for those types of guys? Sure. I think the, the three things that I most focus on right off the bat with folks is first of all, we've got to start putting some processes in place. E- even if they're things that you're the only one that does them. Uh, if we ever want to grow beyond that, you know, start with checklists, document what you do, you know, those kinds of things are really, really helpful to start building that framework. Hmm. Um, the second is just understanding where in the marketplace you want to be more from a marketing standpoint, like what kinds of projects do you want? What makes you unique? Why are you good at what you do? Because that reputation starts to build very early on. Uh, and folks that you know, kind of get a little bit of a sense of, hey, this is a really good project for me and I can explain to a customer why, they get a lot more traction a lot more quickly. Um, and then the last thing I always tell folks is the first two people we need to bring into the fold, whether they're employees or people you contract with, is somebody else that's really good on the production side that understands construction and someone that's really good on the admin side that's going to take scheduling and things like that off your table or off the table for you maybe can do a little bit of bookkeeping, but it's like when they can get from, you know, sort of that doing everything themselves to I've got a go-to in the field and I've got a go-to in the office and I can think of what my market is and I can start to think about processes. That's like the bare structure to say, okay, well now we can talk about what the next level would be. Oh, wow. Yeah. That's really interesting. And, and, uh, you could see if a person had uh, had those those two in place, all of a sudden that would make a little room where they could start tackling some bigger problems. A lot of the small contractors I know, they're almost so busy. You know, they get so almost so much work that their life is just frantic from one job to the next. Weekends cannot uh, make a, a minute, even to hire hiring somebody takes a little bit of time. And in some ways, it's almost I've felt this in my own business, like not time to take to hire someone. So what, what's the, what is it just kind of taking a step back and, or maybe just raise your prices to push people away a little bit, or how do you, how do you even make time to like make a, uh, um, process, you know, description and all that? Yeah, it's, it's tough. It really is, especially right now, because, you know, a lot of folks are really, really busy. Uh, even larger companies are feeling that, you know, there's just a tremendous amount of activity out there. You know, I think one is the more you can define what is a good project for you, the easier it is to say, uh, I'm going to pass on this one. Sometimes there's that element of I'll just take anything and and folks get themselves into difficulty where, Mm -hmm. you know, they're either on a continual learning curve or they're taking on projects that are a little bit beyond where what they can really uh, comfortably handle maybe at the time. But the other thing, uh, honestly, Nate, is I I spend a lot of time with folks saying, okay, if we're going to do something together or you really want help, you've got to give me two hours a week that you can isolate to mm-hmm. really just be able to think about stuff and work on stuff. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for some folks, it's, you know, 5.30 to 7.30 on a Tuesday morning. You yeah. know, for others, it's a couple hours on a Saturday afternoon. But, but they've got to be able to isolate a little bit of time uh, to be able to uh, to really think through some things. Uh, and it's amazing when they start to make that commitment, uh, it's easy to start to see, well, you know, just having taken that one or two or three steps, right? It yeah. starts to it starts to bring um, some results in, in other ways. And yeah. I think a lot of times people get frustrated. Like, you know, people say, well, you know, if the world would just stop, I could re redo my business, right? <laughs> yeah. And, and actually, 
uh, 18 months ago, the world did stop, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and we really didn't stop at all work on our businesses. We actually wondered if we were going to have any business at all. Yeah. So it's like, well, when, when you got what you wish for, even that didn't pan out. So yeah, I, I think it's just got to be steady, incremental. You know, these are the big things I'm trying to tackle, um, but I'm going to make some time to really do that. And I think that, you know, even when I get to work with folks, I feel like sometimes that's the only uh, hour of the week that maybe they're getting able to step back, maybe feel a little bit like the business owner, yeah. um, you know, and I think that, that, but that's important. It's an important mindset to, to be in. Yeah. Are you working exclusively with remodeling contractors? Because a, a general contractor, at least a lot of the ones I know, will do a lot of remodeling, but they'll also add a deck or, you know, do a sure. new driveway or that kind of thing. So are, are you guys kind of focused on remodeling exclusively or is, or is it kind of just general contracting and not so much the, you know, the subcontractors per se, or how does yeah, that work? That's no, a great question. Yeah. So we really have two sides to the house, right? So the round table side is exclusively for interior home remodeling companies. Hmm. Um, so really not even specialty remodelers like windows, siding and doors. Yeah. They're not really part of that. So it's more kitchens, bath, whole home additions, new, wow. new custom homes, that kind of thing. On the consulting side though, um, it's really not that restricted. So the majority of folks I work with fall into that category just because I'm working with members, um, many members that are in our roundtable program. But about half of our consulting clients are not in our roundtables program at all. Um, So I work with some specialty contractors. I work with a big wood flooring company in Chicago. Um, I even work with a company that uh, manufactures and distributes uh, adhesives for wood flooring. Um, Cause sometimes a referral will lead, you know, lead you kind of a little bit further down the path. Right. Um, but you know, they're a big operation, but they sell the adhesives to, uh, uh, to the flooring and then the finishes. So it really gives us the ability to do, um, things beyond, uh, just the, uh, you know, uh, home remodeling. Yeah. Well, what is the round table? We've said that a few times. I should have asked you to get more specific, but it sounds like a, like a conference call or a bunch of, a bunch of like-minded folks, but can you describe what that program is? I can, cause I just got back from one. Um, so the round tables, we have about 25 uh, peer groups. Uh, they're generally groups of about 10 companies uh, in the, and they're from different geographies. So a given group might have someone from Chicago, Seattle, Boston, what have you. Uh, They get together twice a year for a three-day meeting. They put together a financial package, organizational chart. We have kind of a standard structure for how they report things. Um, And then when they get together, they meet at one of their companies. uh, So someone will be the host. So it rotates within the group. So uh, last one I just did, the host was in uh, uh, Michigan. So everybody from the group goes to Michigan. That same group will be in Utah next year. Wow. Um, and uh, and then what they do is, and it's facilitated, and that's one of the things that, that I do. The first day is is a case study on the host. So we meet their employees. We visit their location, look at some of their jobs, come back and do kind of a SWOT analysis on steroids, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then the second two days are basically about an hour focused on each company, reviewing their package, best practices. And the key to it is, is that they, each company makes commitments for things that they want to accomplish before the next meeting. Um, and then we put them into um, what we call micro boards, which is, you know, really uh, three or four people from the group that they uh, have a conference call every month 
uh, in between the, the physical meetings to hold them accountable. How are you doing on your commitment? You said you're going to hire a project manager. How's that going? What are you stuck on? Um, they do a lot of sharing. It's not unusual for someone to say, hey, does anybody have a good job description for such and such? Or does anybody have a template for, you know, how to do change orders? Um, and uh, my boss likes to joke and say that uh, uh, R&D stands for rip off and duplicate. Yeah. Uh, so, um so that's really the essence of it. And what we find is, you know, like you know, some groups, when they're first getting started, they're still getting to know each other. But once a group's been together for three or four uh, years, there's, they're like, they serve as each other's board of directors. Yeah. And the cool thing about that is, you know, when someone says, well, I'm going to do such and such, um, it is not unusual to have someone call them out and say, you know, you've been saying that for two years yeah. and you're not serious about it. And let's make a real commitment out of that. Wow. And, uh, Stuff that, you know, really, I wish when I had my uh, my own business, yeah. I, I had had a peer group like that. You know, I didn't get a lot of outside advice and certainly yeah. not from people that knew what my financial situation was or my employee situation was, or even in some cases, what my personal situation was. So it's very, very powerful. It's, it's, it's a great, uh, um, you know, uh, yeah. process. It's a great program. Are, are the guys generally like, I, I'm trying to imagine whether it, I would get more out of showing my shop and like workplace and getting feedback or seeing somebody else's like there's probably light bulbs going off on both yeah. sides. It, it, do you ever have somebody show up at a shop and just instantly be like, I'm doing that even, you know, even if it's like yeah. whatever tool storage or something. Yeah. Yeah. Every, every time, you know, it's so funny because we're there to help that company get to the next level yeah. and people were, as we, as we're doing the tour, they're like, Okay, I want to set my my warehouse up like that. Yeah. I want oh look at that chart. I don't track that kind of stuff. Or yeah. and then one of the cool things is we interview their key employees. We we set up in teams, huh. and just at the operating level, hearing what some folks are doing in terms of how they handle certain situations and like right now the uh, disruption of, of material flow and and some yeah. of those things. You know, it's like real time research to say, well, okay, well, how are you handling? Like what's going on in your world? Um, yeah. and, and even when they do the analysis of, of reviewing each other's financials, you know, there's something about reviewing somebody else's financials. They call it looking in the mirror. They're yeah. uh, you know, we're, we're looking at the computer and a analyzing these things, but then we're also looking in the mirror saying, well, I don't do that very well either, yeah. <laughs> you know, which is powerful. It's great. How, so you said you have guys in this roundtable for several years. They'll kind of just stay in it as a, as a regular ongoing sort of, yeah. I don't know, business improvement thing without there's, in other words, there's not like a graduation date to the program. People stay as long as they're kind of getting something out of it. Is that how it works? Yeah. I mean, on average, we really start to see the biggest impact when they've been with us about four to five years. Wow. And in that five to eight year window, they really, really do some amazing things. We have some that have been with us much longer. They kind of go into what we call our mentor program. Oh. So it's a little less structured uh, and they go, they like to go to really cool places. <laughs> so, yeah. um, but then they also do some mentoring and facilitating for our other groups, which is oh. really uh, kind of a, a way to give back. Um, and I know you mean it in the general sense, but uh, you'd be surprised how many uh, uh, women business owners that we have uh, that are round tables members as well. Oh. Uh, yeah. So yeah, that, it's, it's, I'm sure I would. Cause you know, like in my world and the people I know, it's so small. I know like, I, I keep saying like the people I know, but I'm talking about like eight contractors. That's it. Yeah. You know, and you yeah. think about the country and the, the world. I've, obviously there's 
zillions. Yeah. And so the likelihood of, you know, there's a, probably all types uh, and uh, undoubtedly yeah. there's some amazing women, con- especially in the remodeling space. They're probably have, they probably have uh, some pretty, um, I, I don't know, good yeah. skills, honestly, in terms of working with customers, in terms of all of it, I'd imagine. Yeah, they definitely bring a, a different perspective. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fun to see some of the, the companies that are developing in that regard. Mm-hmm. We have a lot of uh, companies that uh, husband and wife, you know, uh, yeah. uh, that are really both very active in the business. And one of the cool things we get to work on, and I get to work on this a lot on the consulting side, is when businesses transition from one generation to the next. Uh, oh, wow. So, and, and it's funny, we're seeing more and more that are transitioning, not from dad to, uh, to son, but from dad to daughter, uh, yeah. which is a whole different dynamic. Uh, wow. How, how often do people kind of get in the program with an exit in mind? Like maybe they're going to sell the business and they're like, I got to clean this up before I, before I can even have a saleable asset. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. It's, it's, it's about even thirds in terms of someone comes in because they've got major problems to address. Uh-huh. Others that just want to grow and they really want that path for growth. And yeah. the others are that third scenario you just described. Hey, I've got to transition out of this thing in three to five years and it, it's got to be yeah. something that's sellable. Yeah. And we actually have a whole program. Uh, uh, it's called uh, Value Builder. It was developed by the gentleman that wrote, John Warlow, that wrote the book Build to Sell. Um that we got certified in and we use in our practices, which is designed to create a framework for creating a more sellable business three, four, five years from now huh. by really doing the things that um, today that need to be done to make the company less dependent on the owner, more dependent on processes, those kinds wow. of things. So yeah. aside from having like, let's say clean books and you know all the correct insurances and that, that kind of stuff in terms of getting a business ready to sell, how does it generally work when it's actually time to sell? Are these do they list with a broker, or at that point they got enough word of mouth that like one of the employees steps up? But how yeah. how do these kinds of mid size construction companies go through a sale process? You know, like for example, if I was going to buy one, which sometimes I've thought about, maybe in my yeah. next phase of my career, I kind of wouldn't even know where to start. I, I wouldn't look on Craigslist; that would be the junk. I would think. Yeah, I, right, where, yeah, where, yeah. Where, where does the good stuff sell, yeah. and how do you find it, or where do you list it? So there's four scenarios and the fourth is the worst. So I'll start with the best. One is, you know, you've got a family member uh, that, that wants to take on the business and it's more of planning a good transition. Uh-huh. Um, the second is you've got someone on your leadership team, uh, you know, maybe a general manager or production manager that wants to ascend to take over the business. Um, and sometimes when we don't have that person right now, We'll even recruit for that position, knowing what we're really looking for as a potential successor. Wow. Um, the third is literally taking it out to the open market, but I totally agree with you. Uh, you know, when we work through that process with folks, we want to build a package, we want to build a narrative, but we also mm-hmm. want to have them work with a broker. We want folks that, you know, when they're looking at the business are looking for a professionally run business. Yeah. And the fourth one, which I, 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 Sad to say, I think is probably 75% of who we talk to, they do their last job and they close up shop and walk away. And there's no residual wow. value for these businesses. And when I get in, that was one of the real shockers when I get in the industry, you know, selling a service business is always a challenge if it's closely tied to the business owner. Yeah. But the vast majority of people's transition plan when I started working was, you know, I, I invest my money, I have a retirement plan, but when I'm done, I'm done. Right. And uh, it's it's we're starting to move the needle uh, yeah. on that, 
but it's really getting folks to realize that no, if you've got a cash flow and a reputation and a process and subcontractors, you can have a sellable business. How um, do you got any stories of someone? I, I could imagine, let's say for the 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 family selling it, that it would be bittersweet. But also, when it goes to the right person and there's a really successful handoff, it's got to just be the best feeling ever for that person sure. to to see their life's work kind of roll roll forward. Uh, do you ever have people just like, yeah, I don't know, just having just tears of joy, you know, when yeah. something like that comes through? Absolutely. Well, and it's funny because one of the you know big questions is, should I put my name on my company? Does that inhibit someone yeah. buying it later on? And I always remind people, you know, Sears and H&R Block, and th- those were actually people, uh, you know, b- business names that we know, those those were people, right? So, Good point. Um, so I don't think it's an inhibitor, um, but it is. It, it can be very, very rewarding. Um, and it's it's really kind of nice when a transition happens when, you know, uh, the, the um, uh, creator, the founder is still able to, you know, maybe visit the business, maybe yeah. mentor the new owner, um, you know, kind of enjoy the fruits of that. Um, so that's, that's really a, a, a cool thing. Man, I've got this story and I'm just going to tease it for the audience a little bit. And, but it speaks to this and I want to, we're going to, I'm hoping to make a video about this, but it's, it's this exact story of fellow who sells his business to a nephew, but wasn't able to stop working, you know, just like basically kept yeah, yeah. coming, which is probably pretty normal. And it's yeah. really, it's really kind of a moving story the way this like went out over a few, six months. And there was a very definite, like in a positive, semi positive way, like, well, guess he's not coming to the job site anymore. And it's just like, like a, almost like it could be a movie kind of a story, yeah, but sure. I'm sure that that happens where you, you wake up like my dad, who's the face of our business. And he's been a contractor for 40 years. Mm-hmm. He leaves the house. He gets breakfast at the same place every morning. He goes to the lumber yard every morning. And even on the days when there's nothing to pick up, he still does that. He's still like, it's like a habit, like muscle memory, just to like clear his head, you know? So it probably takes a while for, for some folks. I'm sure there's some who go straight to golf or fishing, but I'm sure there's a lot who just can't stop. No, that's exactly right. And I think the biggest challenge in that is always making sure that, um, you you want the company to be as strong as it can be. But you also want to really assess the strengths and weaknesses of the next generation. One of the things that's really hard is when someone's developed that business over 25, 30, 40 years, they've developed a lot of contacts. They've developed a lot of financial resource. Um, and even when mm-hmm. things aren't documented, they know the way things ought to be. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that doesn't just necessarily transcend to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And the real challenge when you do that is, you know, if, if, if you know, if I'm if I'm the father and you're the son, and and part of my retirement is you're going to pay me something for the business, well, now we're both dependent on this thing being successful, right? You know, so the son doesn't want to, or daughter doesn't want to let you know dad and mom down, which adds a level of pressure. Yeah. But sometimes, and so one of the things that we end up spending a lot of time working with folks on is what is the true condition of the business and how can we make it stronger, but also what is the true condition of that next generation of folks coming in and how ready are they for this? Yeah. Have they had any management training at all? Do they have good credit? Do they have, you know, what are the things that you want to do to make it much more likely because they don't have that 30 or 40 years of experience. Yep. Yep. For sure. And they may not, may not necessarily be ready for that moment when I don't know if things go wrong, but they would need a, a a contact or a skill or some experience that is non-existent. You know, you might've forgotten about. 
Yeah. And then the other side of it is that sometimes when the next generation takes over, you know, they have such a reverence for what's been done that they're a little hesitant to actually take the wheel. Yeah. Um, And I I always tell folks when you're going through that process, it's kind of like teaching your kids to drive. Yeah. Like, you know, you're in the passenger seat and you can kind of reach over and grab the wheel if you have to. But eventually you have to let them take the wheel and you have to let them drive. So um, it is it's a challenging thing, but it's a tremendously rewarding thing and such a great way to build wealth, you know, into a family over multiple years and multiple generations, too. Oh, yeah. Especially when there's like you said, there's family and there's real estate assets and these these just multi-generational I don't know, institutions in a community with like the skills, you know, that kids have been involved with forever. I, I could see it being a yeah. pretty serious and, and just great when that handoff happens. So maybe talking a little bit about the next size of business, this, I'm still thinking about these kind of smaller, smaller sides. Sure. Yeah. Um, on the businesses that get a little larger, let's say, you know, what are 50, to 100 employees? Um, I'm thinking specifically, I'd love to hear you talk about lean. And I know the basics. When I was in school, I took a Six Sigma class and and yeah. that was a while ago. So it's a little fuzzy, but I don't know if very many people uh, are fully up to speed with the concept. So could you give us kind of the crash course of lean and how it applies to our industry? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, lean was born out of uh, the Toyota production system. Uh, so Toyota really mastered that. A comparable program is Six Sigma that came out of Motorola. So they were kind of side by side. Oh, I always thought it was the same thing. I guess not. Yeah. Huh? No, it's actually two very different ways of looking at kind okay. of the same problem. Yeah. So um, Six Sigma, what it does is it sort of creates a statistical analysis for everything that goes on and says, we're going to be really, really good performers to like the sixth decimal place, you know, kind of like it's a mathematical sort of thing. The reason I like lean is it's a little more organic than that. Yeah. So lean says if there's 10 steps in a process, probably only eight of those are really steps that the customer cares about that add value to the process. And so we're going to find ways to eliminate the other two, not to work faster, not to cut corners. So one, one example I always give is like a hospital emergency room, right? You go to a hospital emergency room with whatever ailment you have, and your average stay is about four and a half to five hours. But your actual value added time, the time you're seeing a doctor, getting a prescription or having a test run is about 35 or 40 minutes yeah. of that four and a half hours. Yeah. Right. All that extra time, the waiting, the filling out paperwork, all that stuff is not av- a value added to the customer. So the, the, the lean process is we lay out all the steps. We look for those things that are not value added. And then you look for things that you can eliminate um, and then the strategies for doing that. Well, in our industry, uh, there's lots of examples. We have lots of handoffs. You know, one of the things that was very different when it came to remodeling from accounting was one of my accountants could go in a, in a room and take someone's financial information, create a set of financials, do their taxes, and they could do that all by themselves, right? Mm-hmm. Nothing in construction happens all by yourself. Yeah. Right? We're, we're continually handing off things yeah. to design, things to the you know ordering materials. Every one of those handoffs is an opportunity for a communications issue or delay or a mistake. And so when you start to analyze how why it takes you know eight weeks to design a project and 14 weeks to build it or whatever it is, you find that it's not the actual work that's creating that length of time uh, and really driving a lot of the cost. It's all the back and forth, yeah. right? So one very common thing is like sometimes people will start a project and they'll say, well, 
let me get your choices. Let me get your selections on the most important things, the things I need to order upfront, cabinets and tile and things like that. And I'll come back and talk to you later and we'll get the next round of things. And then there'll probably be a few straggler things that you're going to drag your feet on. Really what we're saying is we're going to have three conversations, at least back and forth, that really could be captured in one conversation if we did it correctly. Mm -hmm. And it won't be the conversation time that drives the length of time. It's going to be the time to schedule. It's going to be the decision-making time. So in all of that, we have a huge opportunity as an industry to say, okay, well, how do we shrink those things down? How do we create that checklist that gets us all the information up front? or makes it hard to order the wrong material or whatever it is. Um, and that's, that tends to reduce the time, but it also tends to reduce the cost uh, of jobs. And the funny thing about it is it's really a win-win-win because the, from the uh, remodeling company standpoint, they do jobs much more readily on time and on budget. Hmm. Or the customer, they actually have much less fr- frustration in getting the job done. And for the employees – they actually end up with a lot less friction, a lot less grief in the process as well. And so it becomes, and the nice thing about it is you don't have to do it for every process. We could take something as simple as our change order process or even smaller than that, our intake call. Like we could take one slice of the business and to go through this process, get a little bit of improvement, get a little bit of momentum and go on to the next thing. So it's, it's, it's really well designed for, businesses like, you know, in the construction industry where I don't want to solve everything today. I want to deal with a couple of things that are really slowing us down. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of the essence behind yeah. it. There's a lot more to it, but no, that's great. You know, I think the class I took, they called it lean slash six Sigma. I always thought they were the same, but the thing that I took away from it, the one thing that really stuck was when the the guy teaching it was just talking about bottlenecks and how yes. things will get stuck at one point, maybe in construction, it's, Uh, something that got ordered late and you're waiting for the windows. And so nothing can happen until the windows show up and get put in. And there was so many, there's so many trickle down things from that. One of the things that, that he, that stuck again was how employees at a job will have to stay and even work, let's say when it's kind of not effective because they don't have what they need to really, but the culture and the, I don't know, expectation, just like, well, we're here till five. And the, 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 whatever I, I, you tell me if this is correct lean or not, but what stuck to me was like, don't do that. Let them go. Let them work a shorter day. They'll be happier. They'll be more effective. Is that, am I remembering that aspect of it correctly? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And it's funny. One of the things that uh, almost every company we start with is just an easy one is uh, it runs to the lumber yard during the day. Yeah. You know, right. Yes. We're running out to get something that either wasn't ordered, wasn't anticipated. Yep. Sometimes it's to rent a tool or something that, and, and, and sometimes it's, we just didn't prepare properly or we didn't have the, you know, we didn't take the time, you know, yeah. it would take a half hour to properly pack what we need. Uh, yeah. Now is offset by the fact that it's two hours by the time we leave the job, go get the item, come back to the job. You know, the, the, the uh, customer is sitting there saying, why is the crew off the job? Right. Yeah. You know, so there's, and, and, and it's funny because it seems like we don't have time to you know, take that extra time to make sure we have the material, whatever. And then we spend four times that time dealing with <laughs> yeah. the consequence of it, right? Yeah. And, and even little things like one of the things that we see a lot is, you know, folks have service vans, right? Yeah. Or, or service vehicles. And you open them up and look at them. A lot of times they're a disaster, right? Yeah. And so, well, people clean them out. 
and label them. And we had a company do that that had taken one of our first lean classes. And he said, Doug, I had three vehicles. And by the time I cleaned them out and set them all up, we found enough nails to build two houses. We had all kinds of junk in there. But we also had found a piece of equipment that was actually on somebody's van that they went and rented a couple weeks before. No. Not realizing they even had it there because it was oh such a, and, and, and it sounds ridiculous, but yeah. almost everybody can figure, you know, can remember, uh, oh yeah, well, I, I yeah. yeah. Done it. <laughs> and, and so what it says is, you know, little things that we can do can make us much more productive. And the funny thing is for the employee, it's not about working harder at all. In fact, you know, we actually want them to be able to get more productivity and less stress, which is really important right now as busy as most folks are. Yeah. yeah it's pretty powerful. Great. Yeah, that's yeah. great. Hey, what do you hear about employees? I, I don't, we don't have a lot of employees, but I know that hiring generally is really tough right now. Are you guys, are you hearing about that kind of across the industry? And what are you telling yeah. folks to do? I guess just pay more or what, what happens? Yeah. Every, every day. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a real challenge. Uh, and it, it's weird, you know, we kind of went from, uh, you know, 18 months ago, we went from, are we going to have any jobs and can we keep our people busy to, we have uh, way too many jobs and we can't find people to do them. You know, yeah. we had this crossover. <laughs> um, you know, it's, it's definitely a challenge. Uh, you know, certainly uh, uh, wages are up. Uh, so people have to pay a competitive wage. There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, benefits are a factor in those kinds of things. But when we we're help when we're helping somebody recruit, maybe hiring a project manager or something like that, we get pretty involved in that. Um, the one thing that we're seeing is causing people to leave a company and go to another um, is some combination of work life balance and company mm -hmm. culture. So right now, if you're a project manager, you can command a pretty good wage, mm -hmm. but you're going to get that from probably any number of companies that are willing to pay that. The companies out there right now that are saying we're totally, you know, uh, overrun with work and I need you to work really hard. And I know you're going to miss your kid's soccer game on Saturday. Mm -hmm. um, and oh, yeah, by the way, we've sold halfway into 2022. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, you know, the, the good news is we'll have plenty of work. The bad news <laughs> is your life's going to continue to suck for the next yeah. six months at yeah. least. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> People are exhausted. And, yeah. and, and then when you add to it the company culture, if there's not a really good culture in terms of how people feel appreciated, communicated with that kind of thing, those are the easiest people to dislodge yeah. and, and attract to a company that really values those things. Wow. So we're seeing that as being very important. And so, um, you know, I'm a believer that you don't recruit when you have an opening uh, any more than you would wait till you had your last project to go market to, to get your next project, right? Mm -hmm. You're continually marketing. You should really be continuously recruiting. Now that doesn't mean you always have an open position, mm -hmm. but the idea that that right candidate's going to come along just because you happen to have an opening and you're going to find each other on the same day is, is, you know, you're, you're making the odds very low, right? Yeah. So I always like to have a short list of folks that, you know, Hey, I don't have a position right now, but you seem like someone that would be a good fit for our company. Let's keep talking. Let's have those kinds of discussions because on either side, uh, sometimes that situation will change um, much more uh, quickly than, than either party might have thought. Um, but then when you have that person and they see a company that has that culture and it's exhibited by things the company's doing as a team and that's shown maybe on their website or, you know, um, just the company's values expressed not only in the hiring process, but in, you know, the things that they're doing, it makes a big difference. 
Um, and, and I think that's, you know, so right now it's definitely harder to hire, but the people that say, I just can't get anybody, I think they're probably missing an opportunity to really position themselves, um, yeah. you know, because you have to truly have those things. You have to have a, an appreciation for a work-life balance and yeah. you have to have a good culture, you know? Yeah. So, you know, that's the first thing. And these things attract each other, you know, companies it, for this reason, I guess, with great cultures attract great people and, and the other, the vice versa is true also. So it seems right. like, um, it's a, it's probably dangerous when a company has a, let's say, I don't know what a bad culture could be described as cause it's, they all are all different, but yeah, it's, it's probably a hole you got to dig yourself out of kind of slowly and over time. And likewise, building a good culture probably takes, it's not something that happens overnight, but it's sort of a, almost like building trust. You got to just kind of something to work yeah. on over time. Is that right? Yeah. And so one of the things we, we try to encourage companies is to be able to, this kind of an exercise we take them through uh, called employer of choice. You know, if you had to answer the question, why should somebody work for you? Even if you don't have the highest pay and the, and the best benefits, uh, a lot of folks stumble on the answer to that question. Mm-hmm. But when they really think it through and they can really document it, uh, and we've had some folks do an excellent job of not only doing that, but getting actually um, kind of like testimonials, but from their employees, just like you would from a mm-hmm. customer. You know, the reason I like working here is, or what the, you know, uh, I've been here five years and these are the things that have meant the most to me. Those send a strong message. The best hires, honestly, come from somebody that knows somebody that's in the company already. That is such a good idea. Yeah, you're right. I mean, that would be so persuasive if you were thinking of taking a job to see a list of testimonials of of things like yeah. that. And, and if you have good employees, it would be, they'd probably be happy to do it if you're obviously wanting them to be honest. So probably yeah. very and so, easy. It, yeah. And social media is a great tool for that as well. So we see more and more business owners that, you know, not just saying, Hey, I've got a job available, yeah. but in a two minute video, right. I mean, even in this format, you come across more, you, you, you get a read on people, right. Yeah. It's much more three dimensional than, than yeah. an ad is. Um, but then if you take that a step further and there's an employee that's on, you know, Facebook or, you know, whatever, Instagram, and they're saying, you know, come join our team. And this is why it's special to me. It's like, mm. well, okay. You know, <laughs> if, if, if that's what I'm looking for and I'm certainly, you know, and I'm capable of doing the job and I've got choices, yeah. you know, that makes you that employer of choice because, you know, in a service business, and this was true in my business as well, I look back at, 20 some odd years of decisions. And I couldn't tell you how much money I made in 2014 or, you know, lots of things that seemed really important at the time, but really, but I could tell you the hires I made that I was proudest of the Mm. ones I made that I shouldn't have the ones I didn't, that I wish I had, right. It's all about the right team, the right people. And yet it becomes a little bit of an afterthought, like, well, we've got an opening. Let's go find a such and such, you you know? Yeah. Um, speaking of social media, to what extent are you advising people to get involved with social media for their business, maybe for marketing? You've, you've been probably around in general long enough to see people do it great without it. And I'm sure you got clients who are doing a great job with it right now. It takes time and effort. So are you kind of pushing people to build out their social media or sort of how, how, what, what's, what's your two cents on that? Yeah, no, I, I think it needs to be a piece of the marketing strategy. I mean, certainly as um, more and more of the purchasing uh, public is uh, coming from a younger generation. It's more of how they're looking at things, where they're looking for, uh, you know, uh, companies and, and get trying to get a read on them. So I think it's important. 
I think with marketing, everything starts with who are we trying to market to and what are we trying to tell them? Yeah. And one of the challenges I have with a lot of marketing companies is they want to tell you all the tactics, you know, we'll do your website and SEO and social media and blah, blah, blah. And I always stop and say, okay, who are we talking to and what are we telling them? And yeah. that's usually when they ask me to leave the meeting. But, <laughs> um, yeah. but the reality is once we know that, then something like the right social media, like Instagram, for example, is fantastic for making quick, easy connections with the customer, letting them get a sense of, you know, what your company culture is like, yeah. you know, is it a little lighthearted? Is, is it, is it more family driven? And is it, but it's also an excellent place to showcase some really, really great work. Yeah. Um, so I think it's gotta be a growing piece of what people are looking at yeah. uh, and looking at doing. Um, but I think the people that sort of run down the path of just doing it before they stop and think about, you know, who they're talking to and uh, you know, and what that message is, yeah. um, you know, they create a lot of activity, but but, but probably leave uh, a lot on the table. Well, I didn't. It didn't occur to me till this conversation, but you're right. A, a social media strategy could be aimed at uh, hiring and recruiting, and have it be well worth the time and effort. So it really, and especially in this job market where that's tough, and so that's a really interesting thought. You you could there's probably a lot of ways to to utilize social media. That would be one, and you could probably do it and take care of several of these things in yeah. one shot. Uh, well, Doug, this is really great. Um, so give us your, the, your contact info. Re Remodelersadvantage.com is the website, I believe, but where else can people find some of your, uh, your resources and Sure. And so people can reach out to me directly at Doug at Remodelersadvantage.com. Um, and actually the easiest way to, uh, if someone ever wanted to have a conversation, you can actually go to www.15minuteswithdoug.com. And that'll put you right into my calendar for a 15 minute, you know, just kind of yeah. talk about the business sort of a thing. Um, so those are, those are probably the two easiest. And then, you know, when people do reach out, you know, we do a lot of webinars. We put a lot of content out there, uh, really kind of a low impact way to say, let, let me just kind yeah. of get in the loop on what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so that's, uh, you know, that's probably the best. Hey, here's my last question for you. And you've been in consulting long enough. You're the perfect person to ask. What What do you say when people kind of show up and are initially so skeptical of hiring a consultant from in terms of, I know my business, you've never installed an air conditioner your entire life, da, da, da. And that's okay, fair enough. And yet um, your, your, your client testimonials would say otherwise. So how do you, what do you say to someone who kind of has that you know, way of thinking about, you know, that their own business that, and that there's something to it that truly they know it better than anyone. So how could anybody else give them advice? So where do you go when you get someone who's got that, you know, question? Sure. That's a great question. And it's one I experienced a lot when I first started, because I did not have a remodeling background. I didn't have an audit, have a construction background. Yeah. Um, and so really what it comes down to is, you know, there are some proven business processes. There are some strategies. Um, there are a lot of best practices, industry data, and really one of the nice things about roundtables is every time we have a roundtables meeting, I get retrained on what's going on in the industry, right? Yeah. And so what, what it means is, you know, a lot of times consulting is I learned how to do something 20 years ago, and then I spent 20 years showing other people how to do it, <laughs> right? Yeah. <laughs> I will tell you that literally today, I learned 15 new things about the industry from the group that I was working with, wow. um, and that happens continuously. Yeah. So it's really applying good business practices to this ever-evolving situation, Yeah. which really, I always tell people, I want you to understand three things. What's going on? 
what your choices are, and what your resources are. Right? That's all I want to do with consulting. And so if we get a really good read, either through financial information or surveys or whatever, these are the these are the truths. These are the these are the facts, right? Because a lot of times we don't see that in our own business. You know, we're yeah. we, you know, we're busy, but so you know what's going on. Now, based on my experience, these are a range of choices that you have. You're gonna, your industry experience is what's going to tell you which one's going to be best for you. Yeah. And here are some resources. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a webinar. Maybe it's a, you know, a, a discussion with somebody that's just gone through this. But if you know what your challenges are, your choices are, and your resources are, then you apply that, those years of knowledge that you have in the industry. Now we get ourselves evolving. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, you're right. Like just even if someone's been a let's say a remodeling contractor for 30 years, that's great, but there's also something to being in 30 different remodeling contractors warehouses over the last 5 years. You know what right. I mean? Like and yeah. so like the, your round table idea just sounds so cool. I really think that's got to be the most valuable and probably fun for those for those business owners uh, experience mm-hmm. to kind of uh, it's almost like look at their business through a different lens, you know, and that's got to just be really helpful, you know, you know, maybe not. It is. And I'll give you one parting thing, you know, when we do the case study analysis, right on the company that we're there to visit, we go visit them, the team comes back, they put together this, you know, this analysis. It's almost always delivered in the form of a skit or uh, a game, or Mm. they get super creative. They have a really good time. I mean, mean, these are fun folks. I mean, it really is a fun group. But what it does is it really resonates. So, yeah. you know, in our last group, we had someone that designed a board game around this particular company's challenges. <laughs> and this guy had to get up and sort of play the board game. And he was drawing cards of, you know, and, and but it was like, but it totally resonated with him yeah. and his team. And, it, you know, those are the kinds of things that, uh, that you want because, you know, it is, there's, there's so much that's just about doing a really good job and, and that kind of thing. But a lot of it is just seeing the piece of it you don't see. Yeah. Um, uh, but but it also doesn't have to, you know, good business can be a really fun experience too. Um, and, and I think people learn a lot more when they're enjoying themselves. Yeah, that's amazing. Well, Doug, thank you so much for coming on. We'll link to uh, your websites and that link so people can get on your calendar if they are a remodeling contractor and something in here is uh, speaking to them. We'll, we'll make that possible. And uh, best of luck to you going forward. And uh, thanks again for taking the time to speak to us. Sure, my pleasure. <laughs>